So welcome to our third online service at Hudson Community Baptist Church. Uh, welcome as well to those that are visiting our site, uh, people that may not actually have come and joined us at our church. Uh, in fact, uh, we know that over the past couple of weeks, we've had some people from as far away as uh, Northern Ireland and Saudi Arabia that have actually participated with us in our worship services. So we welcome uh, both our church family and others that are visiting with us. It's really important that uh, we gather together as the church. Uh, we do take seriously the, the scriptural encouragement to not stop meeting together, uh, but rather to find ways to meet together, to encourage one another. And uh, this is one way we can do it uh, together in this way. So while we can't see you, it's great that you can see and hear us today. And we do look forward to when we can all get back together again. One announcement that I did want to make is that uh, we are canceling a lot of things. Unfortunately, we can't meet together in the church. We can't meet together uh, as much as we did in our, in our homes. Uh, we do have to have some degree of social distancing, but we do want to find new ways to encounter one another, new ways to fellowship, um, and new ways to have in-depth teaching that will bring us closer to Christ, closer to each other. Uh, so one thing we do want to do is uh, offer online uh, classes wherever we can. This is something that I've been discussing over the last few weeks that we've been kind of working through. Um, Pastor uh, Ray has been uh, running his discipleship classes. Uh, for now, he's going to go on pause, and, and once we're meeting again together, he's going to continue those. But in the meantime, uh, what we'd like to start doing is having video conference technology offering us a way to meet together and to have classes uh, where we can ask questions, where we can see each other, uh, where we can use our uh, smartphones or we can use our computers. Um, and uh, in order to get that started, Matt Fraser said he would be open to uh, trying it out, to, to setting up uh, a, a class, a discipleship class, which would be done online in this way. Um, now, he has a, a long background, a long history as a missionary, and, and, and has uh, already run a lot of these courses, usually, obviously, in person. So this is going to be somewhat new. Uh, but what he'd like to do is run a course that he's, he's done before. Um, and uh, it's, it's called Face to Face. Uh, it, it has to do with encountering uh, Christ through the different uh, genres that we see in the Bible. Obviously, we see a lot of different genres like poetry. We see wisdom literature. Uh, the, we see letters in the New Testament. And in each of these settings, we can in we can encounter Christ in a unique way. And so that's what this class will be about. He's going to use the platform uh, Zoom. Um, and uh, if anyone has trouble setting that up or is uncomfortable with it, he's completely willing to uh, help walk, walk you through it and get you set up. Um, we need to be creative in this time. We need to find new ways to uh, encourage one another and to get the teaching that we need and to uh, share our Christian experience together. Uh, so please watch out for uh, e an email with details in the near future, and uh, we'll be able to uh, help you to know what the next step is. Uh, thank you, Brendan. And uh, we'll make sure that we can do that in a secure way. Some people are concerned by that. And uh, there are ways to do this that uh, it is secure and uh, ways we can be relaxed and participate together that way. 
as I shared during the week, uh, it's really important. Actually, we've had good giving from our from our congregation, from the regular attendees of the church. And uh, you can go on the website to find ways to give uh, your tithes, your offerings that we would usually do when we gather together on a Sunday morning. Or uh, some of you already been faithfully giving through uh, direct uh, deposits from your bank account to the church's account. And uh, this is terrific. Uh, thank you as well to those that used either the credit card or PayPal or e-transfer uh, to make your donations in the, in the past few weeks. And uh, that's been really well appreciated. And there's some, been some very good giving. But we know at the same time that as there is unemployment, uh, some people have received notices of unemployment, whether temporary or permanent, uh, due to the uh, uh, COVID-19 crisis. And we know that our, our, our revenues will be down. And uh, that meant the elders had to get together and we had a difficult meeting, uh, difficult in the sense of having to make choices. We had cut as many ex- expenses as we could and we made the difficult decision uh, during the week that as of Friday, uh, just Friday past, that we would issue a temporary layoffs for our two people on staff. So for Heather LaRiviere, who's our church office administrator, and as well for Ray, who's our pastor, the interim pastor for pastoral care. And so we put those on pause. Uh, we're thankful to the government that they've set up programs that are helpful in these situations, and uh, they'll be hopefully be able to take advantage of that. That's the plan. And in the meantime, we do still have all of our ongoing expenses. And as well, uh, there's the church needs. Uh, we have people that do have special needs. Uh, we were able to distribute uh, quite a few uh, grocery uh, gift certificates, some gas gift cert- certificates in the, in the past week. Mm-hmm. We're sure there's going to be a growing need. The elders did not feel that we should cut back in this area, that we need to stand there in the gap for one another in ways where we can practically help one another or others that are in need. And so we do uh, encourage you to continue to give faithfully. But we want to do it with the right attitude. Uh, Not begrudgingly, but rather with joyful hearts. Uh, God calls us to to give out of, as a response, uh, we want to reciprocate to God the way He has blessed us and He has done so much for us. And so we encourage you just to reflect on God and then give as He leads you out of joy, out of thankfulness, And uh, as we do so, God will bless uh, all that we do. And as well, yeah, we do have our... Our church building being shut down, and uh, we we do have ways to communicate still and, and get needs mentioned. Yeah, we're we're no longer meeting together. Obviously, we're trying to maintain that social distancing. Um, but at the same time, that doesn't mean that uh, we can't communicate with each other in a number of ways. Um, I know that uh, some of the groups in the church have been meeting uh, using some of these platforms like Zoom or Skype or just calling each other. Um, at the same time, I. Uh, Heather has been willing to offer, uh, as a volunteer, her services to make sure that communication continues. So you can still email or, or uh, call the church office, and uh, you can still reach her and reach out to us, uh, especially if you see any needs that, uh, that you feel need to be met and that us as a church, we can meet, whether it's in society around us or within the church. Uh, at a time like this especially, uh, this is often a time historically when the church has come together uh, not just to hunker down and wait it out, but to help out and, and, and to meet those needs. 
Yep, and uh, our deacon that oversees uh, this ministry or these kinds of ministries is Brian Hines. And uh, he is in close communication uh, as well with uh, Heather so that uh, if there are needs uh, and he finds out or or vice versa, and they're working together to make sure that uh, we do take care of needs. So uh, do communicate with uh, either one of them. And uh, we'll make sure that uh, help is on its way where we can uh, where we can do that. Before we go to the message, uh, I thought we should have a time of prayer. We did distribute the, the list of 20 prayers to pray during the pandemic. We could make it a much longer list, I'm sure. Uh, but it gives us some good ideas. And we just want to pray through a few points again today uh, before we uh, hear uh, from Brendan and the message that God's laid on his heart for us. Lord, we do uh, pray this morning and thank you again that you are a sovereign God, that you are not just a God Almighty that's up there and ignores us, Lord, but rather in these moments, you are right there with us. And we thank you that we can go to you and turn to you as a refuge, as as a place, Lord, where we do not need to worry, but rather we can trust in you. And Lord, as we think of the the great needs in our society today, Lord, we just pray that, uh, again, for our government leaders who have to make very difficult decisions with immense consequences. And Father, we pray that you would lead our elected officials and give them wisdom, give them understanding to really understand the, the information that's coming in and wisdom to make wise decisions as they have to allocate resources uh, needed to make sure that they're ready for the worst situations. And Lord, we just uh, pray that you would be with them. Help us, Lord, to be uh, faithful citizens supporting our government and doing our part as we try to prevent uh, this this pandemic from spreading around. And Lord, in fact, Lord, I think a lot of us have to just pray for patience. And Lord, keep us Give us patience and and give us a lot of peace in our homes as uh, we have to spend so much time in confined areas with the same people. And Lord, we do pray that you would uh, just just bless us in those moments and help us to find special ways to, to build our relationships and our families and with those that are close to us. Lord, we do pray for those that have been infected. There are many that have. And Lord, we know that uh, that. In many cases, it can be mortal, and we pray for the protection, Lord, of our society, and for those that catch it, Lord, that uh, you would bring healing to them, sustain them, and Lord, we pray that you would contain the spread of this this infection. And Lord, uh, we do pray as well for all of the frontline healthcare workers that are out there, and Lord, we're so grateful to them for the work that they are doing. Keep them healthy, keep them safe, bless their families and keep them safe and healthy. And Lord, uh, guide them, give them clear minds, keep them from being anxious. And Lord, uh, enable them to do their work well. And may we as well, Lord, find ways to, to be supportive of all of that. And Lord, we just again pray that you would bless our church, our family and our extended family uh, through, uh, and Lord, and all those relationships we have. And uh, give us peace during this time. Give us a calm spirit as we reflect on you. We pray all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. So thank you for joining us. And I'll turn this over to Brendan now. Back when I was uh, first dating my wife, I went to my very first Kenyan barbecue. Um, It was with a lot of people who I didn't know particularly well. And there was a lot of food that I didn't know all that well either. 
there were things that I got to know well that I got to enjoy um, on the spot and later through the years I tried more often uh, since my wife comes from Kenya. Uh, we had uh, ugali, we had uh, chapatis, and I was also handed something called, well they called it nyamachama. Now I recognized it as meat. And it was only later that this exotic term for me, nyamachama, I found out that it just meant barbecued meat. Uh, but I tried it, and I, finding out it was goat's meat, I hadn't really had that, I, I tried it out. Um, as soon as I put it in my mouth, I enjoyed the taste, it was delicious, but I couldn't get through it. Now, that, that goat must have been eating electrical wires because it was stringy, it was tough, it was impossible to get through that one peace. Now, I wanted to be a part of the conversations going on around me, but I couldn't. I had to sit there pretending I was the strong, silent type or that I just had nothing to say. As I listened to other people talking and tried to get through this one piece, I literally had to wait till the enzymes in my saliva broke it down before I could safely swallow it. Now, I've since learned to barbecue. I've, I've learned to cook, and at first I didn't do much better. Um, but I've learned the bare basics. I've learned how to tenderize meat, how to make it edible. I've learned that a good marinade can transform tough meat into something that's tender, something that's soft. An overnight soak in some marinade will not only add flavor to it, will not only transform it into something that's delicious, but it'll break it down. It'll break down those tough fibers until it's something easy to chew. Now, if only it was that simple for people. If only marinades could do their work on people as well. There are so many of us with tough, uh, stubborn characters. And if only there was some way to break those down and make us tender and loving and open to other people. Now, today I want to spend some time talking about the Apostle John. And let me tell you, the only marinade that ever worked on him. Now, the Apostle John, who wrote our Gospel of John, he was, um, we don't have many stories about him, uh, and we don't necessarily know a lot about him in his early days of following Jesus. But what we do know, those few stories that we do have, give us a sense that he was that nyamachama, that he was indigestible, that he was someone with a, a cold character in many ways. The man was not tenderized, but we'll get to that in a minute. Who was John? Well, you can learn a few things about how someone looks in a stained glass window. Uh, each of the apostles, if you walk into a traditional church building, you're going to see that there are small differences that help you to tell them apart. Peter, he often has short curly hair and a, and a short beard, and he's often holding a scroll in these images of him. His brother, Andrew, has a, a, a longer mop of hair that's a bit more unkept. You can tell he was hanging out with John the Baptist. But as for John, there's a bit of a dilemma. He's often depicted as either being very, very young or as being very old. And there is an explanation for that. The Bible doesn't say how old he was when he first started to follow Jesus. It's, it's not clear on that. We do know that when he got his calling from Jesus, he was still working with his father in their fishing business. That doesn't necessarily mean he was a young man. Now, the main reason is that 
very early church tradition consistently tells that he lived all the way to the end of the first century. Now, if Jesus died around the year 30, that means for 60 or 70 years, John was walking this earth uh, after Jesus had died. That means that he was a very old man. He must have been a pretty young man when he first started following Jesus. So with the Apostle John, as I pray for all of us, we have a whole lifespan of following Jesus. And to be fair, we probably need to talk about two Johns, the younger John and the older John, and we will. Just a little bit of background. Sometimes John is seen, uh, seen as being a, just a poor fisherman, just scraping by to make a living. Now, there's, there's no evidence in, in sacred scripture that John was poor. Actually, his father and his brother, James, they worked together in a fishing business, and they had boats. They had hired servants. In fact, when John leaves to follow Jesus, he's able to come back three years later, and they still have boats. They're able to go out fishing. It's clear that if you can walk away from your job and come back three years later and you still have it, well, you're not somebody who's just scraping by. This was a business that was uh, booming in that area. Fish was a staple diet around the Mediterranean world. Actually, the diet hasn't changed that much. Olive oil, bread, uh, fish, and wine, those are still key parts of what it was to live in that area uh, back then and even today. Um, The fish was salted, it was pickled, it was sent all over the Roman Empire. So he was doing okay. We have no reason to believe he was someone in desperate circumstances, nor that he was someone who was searching for an escape clause from his life. When he did follow Jesus, as with many who have a lot to fall back on, who are comfortable in their lives, it seems clear that his character and his motivations were a little bit mixed. We're going to turn to Mark chapter 3, verse 17, where it has a brief mention of John and his brother James, and it gives them a name. And James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, he gave them the name Boanerges, which is sons of thunder. Why were the brothers given this name? Now, it sounds pretty good. I think there's many of us who wouldn't mind being called sons of thunder. That that doesn't sound necessarily like a bad name. But when you look at the context, which might explain where they got that name from, you begin to understand that it had a bit of a negative meaning for them. Let's take a look at Luke chapter 9, verse 51. And when the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. This is speaking about Jesus. And he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him because his face was set towards Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them. But he turned and rebuked them. And they went to another village. I want you to note that from that earlier verse that we read in, in, uh, in the book of Mark, it wasn't 
say, Andrew or Judas, who gave them this name, Sons of Thunder, in order to make fun of them for this situation that they got themselves in and for this rebuke that Jesus gave them. No, it was Jesus who gave them this name. Jesus was willing to call them out, even to give them a name that would help them to see with greater clarity their own sinfulness. John doesn't seem to have been the kind of person to shout things out. We, we get this impression that he was someone who was reserved, but at the same time, there's something callous about him. His heart is hard, and, and it's something that we find in each one of us. What we see in John is this ability to label others as other, to treat them poorly, just as soon as we manage to pigeonhole them, to fit them into a category that is not ours. They become easy to dismiss. Well, for John, these were Samaritans, not exactly liked by the Jewish population that he was a part of. And not only that, but they rejected Jesus. So they were easy to dismiss in his mind. Now, this ability to categorize someone as other, this has been seen throughout history between different populations. Sometimes next-door neighbors, because their race or their tribe is a little bit different, in times of genocide, in times of conflict, you've ended up with, have, with them killing each other because of that difference, because they were able to fit a label onto each other. Let's not make it easy on John. He really believed that this could happen. If he didn't, he wouldn't have followed Jesus. He believed that if he called upon God to destroy these villages, the men, this village, the men, the women, the children, it would happen. John and James were, were named Sons of Thunder, maybe for this event, maybe for a number of events, probably for their character. But there's more to it than that. There's a naked ambition that you see running in their family. You can see that in Matthew chapter 20, verses 20 to 21. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to him with her sons. Kneeling before him, she asked him for something. So they came before Jesus. And he said to her, what do you want? She said to him, say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one on your right hand and one on your left in your kingdom. Now, it seems pretty clear that the boys were in on this plot. There was an ambition, a willingness to step over others, a willingness to push them aside to gain something for themselves. I want to notice something here. I want to notice that, and I I want you to, 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 to share this little observation with me. These are not stories that John is telling about himself in his own gospel. No, these stories are found in the Gospels of Luke. They're found in the Gospel of Matthew. These are, how, these are stories of how John and his brother James, how they were remembered. Later on, we're going to see how he remembered himself. He was a follower of Jesus, but like many of us, he was not a completed work. He might have started out as the toughest kind of goat meat around, all gristle and, and no heart and, and unchewable. But by the time he was writing or dictating his gospel, suddenly we discover this different vision, this different version of John. He actually became known as the Apostle 
of love. And we, we don't get that hint from the stories that we just read. What had changed? Well, the Jesus he knew back then, the one who could bring down the wrath of God, the one who could grant heavenly favors, it was not the Jesus who we came to know. It wasn't that Jesus had changed. Jesus does not change. It was because Jesus had worked a change in him. Although John wasn't physically by the side of Jesus after the death and resurrection and ascension of Jesus, for those 60 or 70 years, he was still spiritually with Jesus. And John, if you write, wrote his gospel as an older man, as tradition has it, he was showing the more reflective view of what Jesus had said and what Jesus had done. He spends much more time in the, 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 the Last Supper listening to Jesus as Jesus prepares them for what is to come than he does on that moment when Jesus storms into the temple and because they are treating it so, so much as a, a marketplace instead of as a house of prayer, he overturns the tables. You'd think that maybe the younger John would have looked at those two situations and said, well, let's spend some time in the temple. That's a much more exciting moment. That's the kind of thing I would have wanted to see when we passed through that Samaritan village. But he spends time on the words of Jesus and on who Jesus is in his gospel. That says something about the years and decades of reflection that he had behind him. And we can be thankful that he wrote his gospel as an older man. Now, where John ended up, uh, in Acts chapter 8, it says that the apostles were scattered. And later tradition uh, looks back on this moment as the time when the church began to spread all over the known world. Uh, John didn't end up going all that far. He ended up landing in a city called Ephesus, which is in modern-day Turkey. Now, this was a big city, a booming city, an important city, and a city that was very cosmopolitan. People from all over the Roman Empire came there. Many languages, many cultures, many backgrounds. He had to deal not just with one different culture, as he did with that Samaritan village. He had to deal with people from all over the place. And there's a lot of traditions uh, coming from the early church about who John became through those decades or who he was having spent time with Jesus. One of my favorite stories from the early church is about John when he's circulating through the churches in his area, uh, meeting a young man and entrusting that young man to the local leader. Unfortunately, when he went back to his own church, uh, that young man fell into um, the wrong crowd, and he ended up becoming a bandit leader in the hills, uh, attacking and stealing from people who were going along the roads. Well, John kept circulating through the churches, and he came back to this church. And when he found out what had happened to this young man, who he'd become, well, as an old man, John stormed off into the hill country, got captured by the bandits, and as soon as he was brought to the bandit leader, he ended up running towards him and the bandit leader, out of shame, recognizing who he was, ran in the opposite direction. I've always loved this story because of that image alone. This old man running after a bandit leader, surrounded by his followers, who is in turn running for his life, out of shame. 
Now John, he captured not him, but his heart and brought him back to the church. But that was what he was willing to do, no matter who the person was. There was a a deep love that was found in John. And later stories tell also about how even in close to the end of his life, he would repeat the same thing over and over again. Any sermon, any presentation, any, any discussion he had with other people in the church, he would repeat constantly, children love one another. Imagine having that same sermon week in and week out. He knew that it was the most important thing, that Jesus had called them to that, to, to, to exactly that way of life. Now, these are just stories, but we find this exactly reflected in his gospel and the focus it has and in the letters that he writes. Um, in 1 John Uh, Chapter 3, we can see where his priorities are. Let's take a look at verse 11. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you, We know that we passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. But by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. As it says at the very beginning of this passage in verse 11, well, John had also heard this message of love from the beginning. But it took some time to seep in. It took some time to seep into his thoughts, his words, his actions, how he interacted with the people around him. He'd known hate. He'd known what it was to categorize someone. He'd known what it is to put a label on them and say, they're not like me, and they don't deserve my consideration. But much had changed. His letters in the gospel, they tell tell the story of a man who's changed his whole outlook, who maybe was once just that cold, just that calculating. His gospel is very different from the other gospels that we read. It often causes surprise if somebody reads it after the other uh, gospels, the synoptics. It seems, in a way, slower, thoughtful, more meditative. It's been described, the gospel of John, as a pool in which a child may wade and yet an elephant may swim. It's simple at first reading. But each time you read, you gain new depths, you mine more jewels, you discover more about Jesus and about God. John is in many ways uh, more personal. His gospel is very connected with those more intimate conversations that Jesus has with those around him. And it's also filled with these very vivid memories of the events. Early on in the church, it was described as the spiritual gospel. 
But that term has been often wildly misunderstood. Actually, John has more archaeological, more geographical details than all of the other Gospels combined. His memory of that time and of what happened and of what it was to walk with Jesus was fresh. It was vivid. John remembered the number of pots used at the wedding in Cana in chapter 2. He knew the value of the anointing perfume in chapter 12. He remembered the distance from the shore of the apostles' boat and the number of fish they caught in chapter 21 as they're about to meet the resurrected Jesus. Sometimes you may ask your grandfather or grandmother, or maybe you did in the past, about some important moment in their life, something that marked them, something that changed them. And their memory is suddenly spectacular. They can't remember where they'd put their glasses, which are at that very moment perched on their receding hairline. But they can remember the color of the wallpaper in the waiting room that they sat in while they were waiting for news about their firstborn son or daughter. John remembers details like that. He remembers what it was to be with Jesus because he'd spent that time reflecting on it. But how does he remember himself? Now, we've seen what others thought of his character, or at least how they were, the, 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 the memories that marked them about John and his brother James. But these don't capture the, the transformation, the breaking down of the tough fibers. This, these don't capture what was happening on the inside. I think in his gospel, we can get little snapshots of what was going on. We're going to take a look at a passage which, at first glance, doesn't look like it's speaking about John at all. We're going to take a look at John 13, verse 21. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at table at Jesus' side. So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? And Jesus answered, It is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I've dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Now, as I said, at first glance, this doesn't seem to be about John. We don't seem to learn very much about John. It seems to be about Judas or Peter or Jesus, obviously. But two things. First of all, it mentions a disciple who Jesus loved, being right next to him, almost leaned up against him. In the Gospel of John, this is how John remembers himself. Six times he refers to himself in this way, as a disciple who Jesus loves, never as his own name. It's almost as though the fact that Jesus loved him had become so fundamental to him, it had even replaced his very own name in his mind as the center of his identity. Second, while this crowded meal is taking place, you can imagine there's conversations happening off in this corner, off in that corner, there is one person sitting glued up against Jesus. And that is the disciple that Jesus loved. Of course, he loved all of them, 
But John viewed himself especially in that way and wanted to be as close to Jesus as possible, wanted to hear his voice, wanted to understand as much as he could about him. So we see that he was so close to Jesus at this moment that Peter, when he wants to get an answer out of Jesus, he turns to John to pass on the message. And you have a very short broken telephone routine where the message gets through, but it's John who's seen as being the one who's closest and right by Jesus' side. How do people see you? Do they look to you? to have an understanding of what Jesus would think about this situation or that situation? Do they see you as being so close to Jesus that they've got to pass messages through you? Though they don't, that's not how Jesus has has built the church through having a priest and having everyone work through him. He reaches out to each one of us. But how are you seen? How close are you to Jesus? How much do you meditate and marinate in his words? His focus is Jesus and Jesus only. There's a lot of little clues that show this. When Jesus dies, he's the only apostle who loiters by the cross instead of fleeing like the rest of them. When they find the tomb is empty, well, he's the first to run to it and arrive at it. When they go fishing in Galilee and they see the resurrected Jesus on the shore, John is the first to recognize him. His mind seems to be similar to that of Paul. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2, For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. The desire of John that came from getting to know Jesus deeply and spending time with Jesus even when he was no longer there was to let other people know about Jesus. And that's why he wrote his gospel. And he makes theology personal. There are all kinds of deep and great statements about who Jesus is and what his relationship with God was, but they're couched in these vivid settings that John remembers in an intimate conversation late at night or on the shore or or by a well or in an upper room. John is an example of what a good marinade can do. He's tender. He's filled with Love for the unlovable, for those who are different from him. And he's full of reflection about who Jesus is and what it meant for him and for the world. He spent his life soaked in soaking in memories of Jesus. If he had visited that Samaritan village as an old man, I don't think it would have gone the same There would have been no rebuke at the end. They would have been seen by him as potential brothers and sisters in Christ, not as potential barbecue. In this time of physical separation, we don't need to be alone. We can be reaching out to each other. We can be loving each other, no matter what differences we find among us. But there is no greater separation. Forget the physical separation that we're experiencing right now. There's no greater separation than to label someone and dismiss them, to judge and look away, to decide that that's that's one person who you could never like, who you could never be like, who doesn't speak the same way, who doesn't act the same way, who doesn't have the same background. That's the worst kind of separation. And let's not take a lifetime to learn the lesson of John the Apostle. 
that the grace of God will break down every barrier and every difference between us, that your enemy today can and should be your beloved brother or sister in Christ tomorrow. Jesus is that one marinade that can make any heart tender. Uh, Thank you, Brendan, uh, for bringing that message. And uh, I thought as we conclude this uh, morning, we'd go to the third uh, chapter of John, or rather John's third letter. And uh, right at the end of it, he says, I have much to write you, but I do not want to do so with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. And I think we'll look forward to uh, where we don't do videos, but we actually get to see each other face to face. And John had become a very much of a person that, uh, as Brendan has talked about, where that meeting together with the others face to face was so important. Let's conclude then with the benediction at the beginning of that letter that John gives. Dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you, even as your soul is getting along well. May God bless you this week.